Welcome to Daddy vs. Doctor. Here are your hosts, pediatrician Dr. Scott Cohen and comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah, so I mean, this is this is a very special episode of Daddy vs. Doctor, actually the one I've been looking forward to the most because uh, <laughs> I have a good friend and a patient of mine, Ezra Frack, here. Uh, I've known you since you were a baby. I've watched you growing up. I know your brothers and your parents and uh, the amazing life that you lead. So I, I, I want to share it with our audience, which is great. Um, but can you can you start off, tell us a little bit about your disability yeah. and, and how it came about? Yeah, well, first off, super excited to be here. I love you and it's great to meet you. And this is such an exciting opportunity to, to be on a podcast with my, my pediatrician, my doctor. Right, something I, that happens happen? all the time in this the United not, States. This is not a common right? occurrence, not a common occurrence. Um, so the medical background is I was born with one finger on my left hand. And I had a lower left leg that was curved up towards my waist. And at about three years old, I had a 15-hour procedure where the doctors amputated the curved part of my left leg. Because having a leg that was growing upwards like this is not functional, not optimal. I wouldn't have been able to really move it as I, as I got older. So they amputated that right at the knee and then took the big toe that was formerly on my foot and put it onto my left hand. So this is my former big toe. And this is my former big toe. And what that did was, I mean, think about this. If you're a little kid and you have one finger, everything was held against my chest. You get a second finger, you could then, I could pick things up. I could hold things, totally transform my hand functionality as a young kid so I could hold things, grasp. And then I then got a stump that could fit into a prosthetic much easier, a lot more range of motion on my left side. So Crazy surgery though, 15 hours. I mean, they were connecting nerves and tendons and arteries smaller than the width of a hair for 15 hours. I was three years old at the time. So so is there a reason they wait till three or is it, uh, you can't do that early on or? Uh, it, well, uh, it was a pretty big procedure and there was a lot that went into it. And for my parents, they traveled the world trying to find the best doctor to complete a surgery that is so complicated and so difficult. And I don't know particularly why they waited till I was I was three, but um, part of it is probably they wanted to just see how the leg would end up growing out, okay, gotcha. and uh, how the hand would develop, and then from that point made made the decision. Okay. Now you're three, right? Now are your parents raising you? Because I'm always fascinated with someone like yourself who ends up going onto the Paralympics and competing, right? Do they bring you up as if this is, you know, you got you got no yeah. leg, you got uh, a thumb on your mm -hmm. hand, and there's no difference in really the upbringing. Obviously, there's going to be some difference, but do they treat you sure. as if you are have a disability? Mm -hmm. Right, because even when I use the word disability, I almost said to myself, like, I shouldn't even be using that word. No, it's it's, it's what's correct. Now? It's well, it's it's okay to use the word disability, and this is part of the things that I hope to address as as I hope my career continues to grow, which is. Disability is taboo and people don't know what to say. They don't want to say the wrong thing. And so they end up not saying anything at all. But if you approach it with good intentions and you're meaning to be respectful, then I'm pretty much open to most language that people use. But yeah, disability, totally, totally fine. But what is another word yeah. that people use? People differently abled, uh, disabled. People say, people, can I say amputee? I'm like, yeah, you can say amputee. I'm an amputee. I'm disabled. This is, this is the reality of the situation. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to say it any other. It, so, um, but yeah, people say things of, yeah, people have 
difference, your difference or whatever it might be. There's tons of different language, but okay. I'm, I'm not particularly picky. Are people, are people in your situation picky? There, there are, I mean, as there are with any form of social justice movement, or you have people who are sticklers about particular language. You have people on the complete other side. I tend to err on the side that if you're coming with good intentions, that's all that really matters. People aren't always educated properly to say the right thing and you have to change your language for every person. That can get a little complex. So mm. I approach it more as with good intentions. I'm, I'm cool with whatever. But, Got you. but back to your question yeah, yeah. about how my parents raised me. They raised me with zero pity, with essentially the same approach that you would take to any other child, disability or not, where they said, yeah, you're born different but that's not going to define you in the sense that we're going to treat you the same way we treat all of the other children. You still got to do the same chores. You still got to play the same sports. You still got to go after things in your life the same exact way. And of course, they, their adaptions that had to be made regarding prosthetics. My parents had never had a child with a disability. I was their first child. I was born and they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what, what life would hold for me. My mom recalls days where she would be fearful. If What, what about girlfriends would he get find a wife my dad thought would i ever be able to surf with my child again there are all these fears um but as i grew up my mom told me because listen it is easy it is easy to retreat to the insecurity about the disability everywhere i went there was people staring and pointing fingers and whispering and my mother told me she said you walk into every room with your chin up chest out walk in like you own the place that was my mentality, to not retreat to the insecurity about my disability. And because of that, I feel that's the, re that's the reason that I would say I'm secure and confident is just the way my parents approached it and said, you're different and that's okay. And we love and love and accept you for who you are, but that's not going to change the way we, we approach parenting. Mm. That's amazing. That's why I was going to ask you if there was a point in time where you said this wouldn't define me, but it sounds like that came from your parents, which is great because it's easy. I think for somebody else to say that yeah. right? for you to believe that also yeah. is, is a different thing. Were there times in your life that you, then you went through periods where you're just like, I'm just, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I felt ostracized by society, by everyone in life, because everywhere I went, I was stared at like a zoo animal, like a zoo animal. I would go in public and people whispering about me, made fun of, picked on, all the time. This is the reality of living with a physical disability. I was lucky to have an amazing backbone, an amazing support system and my parents and my family and my close friends who saw me for who I was beyond my disability. But everywhere else I went, I was a kid with one leg. I was, oh, the, the robo kid. Oh, this was, that was life. And so there was times where I was sitting, sitting there thinking, I don't want to do this. This is so frustrating. I don't feel accepted. I don't feel included. And it took a little bit, but there was a point where over time I realized that I was born this way and I literally can't change my situation. And the realization that you have no control over the situation you're put in right now, but rather have control over how you think of that in your head, that was the thing that changed for me. It's like, oh, I'm born this way. I can't change it. Might as well just make the most out of my life. Might as well go after every goal I have, every opportunity, and accept that this is my life. And so it was a combination of those things that helped me, helped me accept my disability. It's officially time to kickstart your holiday shopping, but there's no cause for panic. 
Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, in-laws, or your best friends, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Here's a few of my favorite gifts that I found on their site. My girls love ornaments, and every year we look at Uncommon Goods to find an ornament that fits them. My older daughter loves soccer. My younger daughter loves theater. So we find ornaments on Uncommon Goods that is specially made for their loves. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches. So shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you could find just anywhere. Uncommon experiences are more than virtual classes. They're unexpected opportunities to have fun and connect in new ways. From tarot card reading, romantic map making, cooking and mixology classes, and much, much more. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash DVD. That's uncommongoods.com slash DVD for 15% off. Don't miss out on the limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. And, and you have a prosthetic leg on, right? When did you get that? Uh, at what age? And, I got, or there, have there been a series of legs leading up to this leg? Yeah, there have. There has been a series of legs that led up to this leg. Uh, I had my first prosthetic. It was sort of clay molded around my my leg that was curved up when I was 11 months old. That's when oh. I got my first prosthetic. And then obviously, as you get older and you grow and you grow out out of the pediatric parts and the knees and the prosthetics change and get better and better. They can, I can now have more technology in the prosthetic versus just a simple hinge knee, which a lot of people have when they're younger and constantly changing, constantly growing the, and throughout those years, I was breaking legs all the time. I mean, I was a kid who loved to push the boundaries and play a ton of sports. And a lot of these pediatric knees and, and foots and, and stuff like that were not meant for high pressure, high sports, uh, all the time. So I would break stuff quite frequently, but I've had probably 30 legs maybe wow. up until this one right now. So the leg you got on right now yeah. compared to your other leg, right? If you're comparing the two legs. Prosthetic to my sound leg. Yeah. Right? Okay. How much of a difference is it? Yeah. It's, I mean, now these things got so unbelievable for, and, and I haven't done research on this, yeah. but just watching shows, they're saying that these legs now have come so far. Yeah. I've often wondered if you're comparing the two, do you go, oh, yeah, no, this seems like where, where are we in the in the mm -hmm. world of prosthetics? I mean, there are prosthetic legs that have full computers built into them that are $100,000 knees that can adjust to the way you're walking and simulate the load that you're putting on your able-bodied side. For me, at least, this prosthetic is pretty basic. I just have pretty simple hinge knee. And so the comparison to my sound side I would still say my sound side is is obviously way easier to maneuver and use. I don't have control of the lower part of my leg as an above the knee amputee. So it's still oftentimes I'm standing and the knee will buckle or give out. And so as 
progressive as we are and as forward thinking as we are regards to technology mm-hmm. and prosthetics, we're nowhere near where it would be anything comparable to a gotcha. human limb. And people see, and this is another thing online, people see a running blade. They see the, the yeah, one Yeah, we explain the difference between yeah, so there's, that prosthetic there's, version. He has a different is, one for right, the running. Right now I have my walking leg on, which is what I use day to day and meant to be comfortable, stable, get me around. I can play sports in this if I want to, but not particularly optimal. Then I have my running blade. I actually have three separate running legs, which are specifically designed for weight reduction so that the lightest possible. They're optimized as much as possible with the best blade and the best knee and the best components specifically designed to compete and run at a high level. And so those, when I'm running, it looks like a spring. It looks bouncy. And oftentimes people come up to me, especially on social media, you're cheating, you're cheating, or oh, they're cheating. You can't use that. That's unfair to, against the able and I'm, Cheating. cheating. They think it's cheating to jump. What the fuck's going on? And then, and you know what I say? You know what I say? I say, I'm competing against people with the same thing. How is it cheating? I'm competing against people with the same thing, but they don't understand. And so they think that that technology is way better than a human limb, but really it's meant to mimic the human limb. It's meant to the foot, you put energy into the ground, your foot returns that energy. Same thing with the blade. If I don't put any force into the prosthetic, I get nothing out of it. And still, if it was so much cheating and I was had this advantage, which is crazy to think about, why do all able-bodied people hold the world records? Why is my world record in the long jump still five feet less than the able-bodied world record yeah. if we're cheating? And so it's obviously dumb arguments that people don't fully understand on social media. But yeah, it's technology is definitely improving. And maybe in 10, 15 years, I'll have a leg that I can say, yeah, Sebastian, it's better than my right leg, but not right now. <laughs> well... Well, you bring up a point that I never really thought about. Is there requirements that you can't have a prosthetic leg that is so technology, yeah. so technology, what is it? Technological. Technologically advanced. Technologically It can't be in the competition. Correct. There, there are regulations. It has to be a product that is commercially available. So I can't use a leg that was designed in a lab uh, in Alaska to levitate me over, which I don't even know if that exists, but I wouldn't be able to. It has to be commercially available. Okay. So there are regulations Got it. in Got place. It. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Too busy with holiday plans to cook, but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra tip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. When you're too busy running around to plan lunch, Factor has you covered with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meal-like grain bowls and salad toppers, they are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. This November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. 
Head to factormeals.com slash daddy50 and use code daddy50 to get 50% off. That's code daddy50 at factormeals.com slash daddy50 to get 50% off. Our blind soccer team in the U.S. has never been good enough to make the Paralympics. Yeah. But because the games are coming to L.A. in 2028, we get an automatic bid. And so then now we're trying to build a team because we can qualify. Yeah. yeah do, you know, do you know blind soccer? Do you know how it works? Well, was it you that was showing me a video? Of, no, no, I don't. I, I saw a video, but I, it was something about, uh, no. Essentially. I saw a video, but it, once you tell me, I'll it's, remember. It's along with a lot of other sports in the Paralympics, it's adapted, right? So essentially the ball has a bell in it and everyone's blind and has to wear blindfolds, obviously, to to because some, of course, there's always regulations around people who are trying to, you know, cheat the system a little bit. There's talks. Hold about, on, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, one, other, second, one second, one second. Yeah. There's people that are lying about being blind to they're, play blind soccer? They're, they're not just blind soccer, but in the Paralympics, there are people who attempt to fake to maybe be slightly more disabled in order to have an advantage. Um, this is, I mean, this is, this is not, <laughs> this is, this is sort of behind the scenes, you know what I mean? In the system type stuff, but it's, uh, but so they wear, they wear the blindfold just, just so the equalizer, you just have to have a certain level of exactly. deficit to qualify, qualify for blind soccer. Exactly. But so. then they equalize everybody and Aubrey exactly. went and she wore the goggles you wear the over, go- you wear go- so you are totally kind of blacked so you're, out. You're totally blacked. You can't see anything. And of course there are people who are not fully blind, partially blind and things of that nature. But essentially the ball has a bell in it and the goalkeepers can see and the goalies are shouting directions at their teammates. And it's fascinating and really difficult to play. I've played it a couple of times, but it's really tough. Um, when you're playing blind soccer, mm. are you, is there a lot of passing? I mean, like to, as, or, or is, as, you, as much as there can be, obviously it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't look as, fluid as regular soccer it's actually more physical in many ways because people are you're running with your hands out because you don't know where anyone is really and bumping into people and lots of pushing um so quite physical of a sport it is wow so you're in like a imagine like an outdoor ice rink so you have that walls like a yeah exactly oval walls exactly oh, okay. so and the goals are smaller yep and uh, they hit the sides of the goal to show you the side. Like this is the left side of the goal. This is the middle. This is the right. And the bo- the soccer ball is a little heavier. It's a little more weighted. Um, and then, and like you said, I mean, they're they're just passing they and then they're bodying up. And it's it was. Amazing. I mean, there was my dad told me because he went to the Rio Paralympics in 2016, and he was actually showing the LA 28 organizing committee around Casey was Casey Wasserman, some of the execs, the guys that were. That were are bringing the games to LA in 2028, and they went to Rio to watch what a Paralympics looks like and see how they ran it and everything. And they went to blind soccer; that was one of the sports they went to. And they're in a stadium of you know 5,000 Brazilians. It was the gold medal game, Brazil versus some other country. And Brazilians are not particularly quiet at soccer events, and because they had to be dead quiet so that the athletes could hear the ball, oh. you had 5,000 Brazilians in the stadium dead silence as they were watching their team compete for the gold medal which they ended up winning but he said it was a crazy scene the brazilians are even phenomenal at blind soccer i mean that's just (laughs) right right it's in the genes it's in the the genes it must be
growing up playing all these sports, initially you were playing in able-bodied leagues, right? How, when did that switch and did people look at you like when you came on the field, were they like, oh, Ezra is on our team or obviously, I mean, you're an elite athlete. Anybody should be proud to play with you. What was, was there like, did you feel differently when you were doing that? Yeah, a hundred percent I did because I was able to infiltrate into mainstream sports as a young kid, just being an amputee, I was able to do that, but I was constantly underestimated. There would be basketball games where kids would take it easy on me in the first five minutes of the game. And then of course, yeah, they're like, oh, he's after, 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 mul- after multiple yeah. points are scored, then of course that changes. But at yeah. the beginning you see, everyone would see the kid with one leg and think, oh yeah, let's take it easy. And I'm oh poor guy. Oh, I feel pity for me. And I was like, no guys, I'm here. Let's run it. Let's go. We'll see what happens. And oftentimes I would, I would beat them. I don't know how, I don't want to say yeah, that in a humble no, way, but you don't but, have to be. Yeah. But when I was, but when I was younger, that happened quite frequently. Even as I would start competing in track and field a little bit later, I would be at competitions where I would hear kids say, oh, I'm not going to lose with a kid with one leg. I'm not going to, this kid can't, not going to out jump me. And then sure enough, I would go on and win the competition. They would lose to the kid with one leg. And so that definitely happened. And that's just the product of the way our society views disability at this point in time, where it's not fully normalized and there's a lot of underestimating. And uh, I've definitely battled against that my whole life. Yeah, because we're talking, you know, we're talking to the world record holder in the high jump. You just set that well, a month ago in Paris, right? Yep. Yep. Which is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how how high was it? I jumped one ninety five, which is about six five, six feet five inches. It's just absolutely amazing because then you broke it and then you broke your own record. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The, the world record was 190. I had won the competition already, and I went to 191. I jumped 191, cleared that, and then the official said, "Do you want to go up? Do you want to keep jumping? Do you want to?" And I was, Hell yeah, let's go up. And so we went to 195, wow. and then jumped. Had you broken it in practice? Like, did you know in your head you could do it? I knew. I knew in my head I could do it, but funny enough, I never jump well in practice. I never jump oh, well wow. in practice. In practice, the highest I jumped maybe that whole year was 180, 183, and then wow. in competition, 12 centimeters higher. Wow. So I I knew I could do it, but practice was definitely not responsible for the competition. I mean, when I saw that video, I was, I was in tears. It was just it was just absolutely amazing. Everybody's Thank clapping. You. And Thank you. It's just, it's so good. Yeah, it was pull, pull, pull it, was, it up, pull it up. It was quite, let me say, quite a buzz, quite a crazy feeling. This is at 191. So this is, I missed my first two attempts at this world record. And this is my last attempt to clear it. That's my coach right there, standing right behind me. Got the clap going a little bit. With the pink hair? Yeah, my coach has the pink hair. That's awesome. Third and final attempt now at one meter, 91. And this time he's made it. (laughs) <laughs> so good. Uh, I look at it. Yo, what now? What now? From Roderick Tanton was perfect. And Ezra Frank clears 191. He is added a world record. It's done for four years. Is he a uh, ex? Um, jumper himself he is a current jumper he's actually i would argue the greatest paralympic high jumper of all time he has brachioplexus he competes in the arm classification arm amputees and he he broke the world record and won gold two days before i did it at the same competition oh wow so that's so cool is that is that a prerequisite that the coach has to have a disability as well not at all it's actually 
quite uncommon. And really? Very rare that a current athlete who is towards the end of his career is then coaching another athlete mm. in the Paralympic system. We were we became the first coach-athlete duo to ever win two high jump titles and break the world records at a world championships ever in the history of track and field. It's never been done. Wow. So now Paralympics is up next, right? Correct. And then the plan is three events? Yeah, the plan is three events. So I do high jump, long jump, and the 100 meter. At this past world championships, I got fourth in the long jump, sixth in the 100 meter. Slacker. And slacking, really <laughs> yeah, slacking. And then the plan is for Paris this upcoming summer, win the high jump and win a medal in the other two as well, which is also never really been done before. No one does three events that are so different because I'm competing against high jumpers in the high jump. And then in long jump, I'm competing against guys who only do long jump. And then the 100 meter, I'm competing against only guys who sprint. And so I'm having to juggle all three and try to be elite at all three against guys who singularly focus on one event. How do you split your training? It's complicated. It's yeah. complicated stuff because also there are different body types. High jumpers are more skinny while the sprinters are more stocky and beefy. And so I'm having to play in the middle between these these body types and train. The training schedule is broken up very differently and we're constantly switching events and putting time into certain events that might need it. Say my 100 meters not doing so well. My start hasn't been great all season and that might require a little more effort. While it's high jump, if it's going really well, we, we might not need to take as many jumps there. So do you got like a nemesis, like a, a guy that like there's like a, a rivalry? There's always there's always rivalries. There's always rivalries. I mean, is it is it copacetic? Is it like a nice rivalry or you're like, fuck you, I just broke <laughs> the world record? Is, or is it I mean it's you you try to keep it respectful and I have competitors that I am definitely friends with, that I am definitely close to who we talk and respect one another but at the same time we're trying to take food off the other's plate yeah and so it can only reach a certain level of friendship if that's really the case but then there are definitely guys who i don't like who i compete against and i think of them when i'm winning and i think of them when i'm training and trying to get to that point and definitely are motivators for me to to beat them so for sure okay. for sure there is you brought can i see the medal can yeah, we see yeah, the medal yeah. you brought so you brought the gold medal oh wow i brought the gold medal from I was like, have you ever won anything like this no yeah I, 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 check I, it I out. barely had a trophy on my i mean that's so awesome <laughs> oh wow that's cool so so this was the championship in paris now the olympics are in 2024 in paris Correct. and then 20 so do you, if I were you, and this is the way I think, right? Mm. Paris is going to be great. Yeah. But you, born and raised in LA, yeah. are you at all looking going, I can't wait for 28? All I think about. <laughs> all That's I think reason. about. <laughs> so good. I would just think of yeah. your hometown and the Olympics are in the hometown. I mean, what 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 greater thing is I'll that? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's going to happen in 2028. The plan for 2028 is to pull off something that I've called the triple crown which is a gold in the high jump, gold in the long jump, and then a gold in the 100 meter. Never been done before in the history of the Olympics, Paralympics, track and field. Right, nobody's, first. nobody's ever won those three at the same Paralympics or Olympics. Wow. And I'm going to do it in the hometown, home city, 2028. That's the plan. So it's, it's absolutely, so when I lay in bed at night, when I put my head on the pillow, yeah. I'm thinking about Paris, but at the same damn time, I'm thinking, I can't wait to do this in my hometown. It's so great. How old are you? 18. 18 is there an age limit to get into the paralympics yeah you got to be turning 14 
oh. that year. So I made the national team when I was 14 for the first time. And I had been up against the cusp for so long, but I just hadn't been old enough. And so finally, when I turned 14, I was in, I made the team. So how was that experience? Because I know I, I was, I heard a lot about it with you and your family. I mean, think about your 14 year old, you're traveling the world mm -hmm. with basically adults. You know, you're in these, these great cities and you're around, you know, almost like Olympic parks, right? Yeah. It's a very uh, different experience as, as a young teenager, right? How were you able to manage that? Because at 14 years old, that's young. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, luckily, luckily, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so I anticipated the missing of school. I anticipated the missing out on social events with my friends and things of that nature. I expected that to happen. Um, but it was quite a blessing at a young age to be able to travel the world, do what you love, go after your dreams and I, I never take it for granted. Even now, I mean, I've been traveling, competing for quite a long time, but I still, on these trips around the world, take it in, appreciate the fact that I'm so lucky to be this young, get to chase my dreams in this way. It's all a blessing, truly. The opinions expressed in this program are not intended as professional medical advice, as a diagnosis, as a treatment protocol, or as a substitute for professional medical advice from your physician. Please consider your own medical history and consult with your own physician for your specific health care and or medical needs and about your concerns for yourself and your family.